0: Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller, Four with the Three Wing. I'm joined by my co host, JJ Peterson. Two with a three-wing. Yeah,
1: yes. Hi, Don. For those of
0: you who have no idea yes. why I just numerically <laughs> described yeah. myself, my co because today we're talking about the Enneagram. Yes. And lots of people are really excited. Yes. Lots of people are curious. Yeah. And lots of people are angry over it <laughs> over it they're over it because their friends keeps talking about the enneagram and they're tired of it
1: i got to a point where everybody in my life this is where it was interesting for me everybody who i respected in leadership in my life right. spoke in enneagram terms and you didn't you hadn't I had read no about clue it i just you like would know. shake my nod my head i'd be like oh totally i'm yeah four Ugh. No. It would be like, yeah, because people do that with like
0: disc tests and yeah. Myers-Briggs. Yeah, sit so there.
1: oh, I'm an INTJ, you know, and yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. like, if you don't know what that means, then, which I'm actually not an INTJ, I'm an INFP. I got introduced
0: um, to the Enneagram years and years ago. It's got to be more than 10 years ago. My friends, Matt and Julie Canlis. So Julie is... Uh, we kind of grew up together. We, I guess we met like right around high school. Yeah, Julie went on to win a Templeton Prize for theology or something uh-huh. like that, for being smart. Yeah. <laughs> and she called and said, she said, Matt and I want you to come over to Scotland. They were living in Scotland at the time. We want you to go on this Greek Orthodox pilgrimage with us. There's this professor from Oxford who's going to lead us to ancient sites in Europe, ancient cathedrals. Oh, wow. it, it sounds amazing, right? It, yeah. Which is typical Julie vacation. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is not – we're going to go to Palm Springs. It's got a great pool. Yeah, no, like, no, like, no. no, we're going to learn. You're yeah. going to you're gonna have to read books. Yeah. She goes, listen, in our downtime while we're there, we would like to informally discuss the Enneagram. So while we're not studying, we want to study <laughs> – and she made me read this book on the Enneagram before I got there and that was my introduction but it was oh, wow. it was fascinating yeah I said in last week and when we we're talking about this week's episode you read about the Enneagram and you kind of like don't buy it until you get to your number yeah. and then when you get to your number you're humiliated <laughs> you're so embarrassed because they're like this person reads my journal
1: I would say for me it wasn't just in the weakest points of your personality that there's like it nails you where you're arrogant where you're prideful where you're vain but it also for me was very validating like there was a lot of things in there that was like yes really like in what way because you're well, a two. Like the, the two on the side it was like yeah that is me like that is exactly me and i view my role in an organization as
0: this right and it's not commonly used it's used more for like self-help and self-development than it is within organizations which is shocking to me yeah, because I see the uses for it within an organization to be immense yeah when I mean, you really understand it there is a downside you can label somebody
1: well with all the tests yeah with all I think the tests, with all the that. tests when you go oh they're just they're a high D or they're you know they're a high C from a disk test you know right. I think if you put people in a box with all of these things then it can be a little bit dangerous because then you'll write people off or excuse behavior that right. like you you can excuse bad behavior by going oh well they're just a high d no they're a jerk today. And yeah. that like that, <laughs> like that, well, let's not excuse it because their personality right. type leans that direction. So I think you can excuse things and write, or you can also just write people off. Oh, they're too sensitive. Yeah, just a, you know, and I think that's when it's a mistake. But when you use these tools to actually
0: understand,
1: understand people and speak to them in the way that they can hear things and engage with them, then it actually allows your life to be better because you're not frustrated, yeah. and it allows their life to be better, and it actually moves the organization forward in ways that you couldn't do when you don't know how to communicate in the way that they can be heard and understood.
0: My wife and I use it. We don't talk about it. We don't mm-hmm. talk about the Enneagram very yeah. much. You know, She understands it, but it's just not a topic that is any fun for her. I mean, it's not, not fun, but we don't talk about it. Yeah. But she knows I'm a four. Yeah. So yesterday, I'd been three days in Phoenix, I think, uh, super busy, You know, came home, and she knows I need sort of independence time. Uh-huh. And usually if I turn on the riding lawnmower – it's my way. Nobody can really like run alongside yes. you and ask questions. I try. I know because you got a really loud machine that spits things uh-huh. at them.
1: Yeah,
0: it's perfect for me. <laughs> 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 I mean, just like a Jack and Diet, nice medium warm on a, day
1: on a riding lawn. On a riding lawnmower. Uh-huh. I
0: really should have been a landscaper <laughs> with my Jack and Diet as I yes. carve figures into your lawn. Yes. Anyway, so she knew it. And she really wanted to connect, but she also knew he needs like five hours, and then we connected that night. I know that she's an Enneagram 6, and they tend to be prone to worst-case scenario thinking, So if there's wind, I know we're going to have to go next door into the bunker of the office because which did
1: happen yesterday. Like there was some tornado threats here. So
0: yeah. So but I know. Hey, just go with it. Yeah. To me, I'm opening all the doors. I'm like, hey, there could be a tornado. What if it comes close enough? We can see it. Maybe we can get a picture. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, but you understand these things, and you give people their space. You give people, and so that's what's really beautiful about it. Anyway, I think the best introduction to the enneagram I've ever read is by Ian Kron. He wrote a book called The Road Back to You. It just came out recently, actually. Yeah. Uh, I've read it. You've read it. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And so we thought we'd bring Ian in to not just talk about the Enneagram, talk about it at work. Yeah. How, what does this mean at work? And so this is going to be a great introduction to the Enneagram for anybody who's wondering or anybody who says, I want my friends to know about this. Don's conversation with Ian really gets it done. And so that's why we did this. And so brought Ian in. He was kind enough to come to the studio. I think it's a fantastic interview. So we're not going to wait any longer. Here's my interview with Ian Kron. Ian Cron, thanks for coming on. Don, it's my
2: pleasure. I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, this is one of my favorite subjects, but it's it's going to be a mystery to a lot of listeners. We're going to talk about the Enneagram at work. And I've studied the Enneagram for a long, long time. (laughs) Four with a three wing, maybe three with a four wing the older I get. But a lot of people don't know about it. But here's the deal on your team, you've got a very driven personality, likes to get things done black and white thinker, sometimes in stressful moments can come off as really rude and unempathetic in every way. You've also got on your team a perfectionist who will create work where there is no work. You have the carer, the nurturer, who really is about culture in this environment. Uh, We love you. We want you to feel loved. And if you don't need me, I'm going to kill you. And I could go through this. Those people, they're kind of categories of personality, and we all resist that, and you probably resist it too, but there's some truth to it. And the Enneagram, like no other methodology, explains it for me. Now, there's disc tests, and there's Myers-Briggs, and there's all that, but Enneagram is a little bit different. And you've written a book called The Road Back to You about the Enneagram, and you will discover yourself in this book, and you'll figure out how to get more healthy. Regardless, though, I read this book. I emailed you right away and said, you have to translate this for the workplace. I mean, the book (laughs) does a pretty good job already, but specifically, you've got to translate this for business, and so I'm happy to have you here.
2: Man, I'm glad to be here and glad to talk about the Enneagram in business.
0: What in the world is the Enneagram? That's where we're going to have to start, right? What is it?
2: Sure. The Enneagram is an ancient model of personality or what we might call today a personality typology. And it teaches that there are nine core basic personality types in the world, one of which we all gravitate toward one of them in childhood as a coping strategy a way of navigating the world so it starts out as a a
0: bit of a negative or defense mechanism you think to develop this personality trait
2: you know we're all born with a temperament right Right. we're all born with things like some people are depressives other people are anxious yeah over temperament goes this thing called personality right Mm. these are traits right and ways of being in the world that help us meet cultural expectations, that help us fit in and belong, that help us get our needs met, right? right? So we develop personality to make our way around the world. Personality is really good, right? The purpose of the Enneagram is not to delete your personality and start over, Mm -hmm. right? It's meant to help you identify those aspects of your personality that aren't working for you anymore as an adult that helps you get through childhood.
0: The downside of your coping strategy becomes a problem.
2: Yeah, like the old expression that we sometimes use is what got you here won't get you there. Yeah, well, what the Enneagram gave you, and I think it it gives other people, is the really all-important quality of self-awareness. Right. I I recently read a study from Cornell. They did a Study of 72 CEOs of companies that were anywhere from 50 million to five billion dollars in yearly revenue. And out of the study came, or from the research, what it, what it delivered was that the key predictor of success was self awareness mm-hmm. for leaders. That without self awareness, you're just banging guardrail to guardrail through people's lives, and, you know, and just creating debris field. What is self awareness?
0: Self awareness knowing why you do what you do, or the ability to, to evaluate mistakes. What, it, what define self awareness in the context you're using it in?
2: Yeah, self awareness would be uh, the capacity to monitor and self regulate your internal world,
0: mm, okay,
2: in real time. The ability to be able to look inside and know why it is that you think, feel, and behave the way you do, so that in the moment you can make different choices than the ones you make when you're on automatic self.
0: I'm mad right now, but it's probably because I'm insecure about this and not really because this person is a jerk. That's self-awareness, right?
2: Right. I had a guy that I was consulting with at a hedge fund in, in New York, and after working with him for a little bit, he knew he had hit a moment of success when a person on his team who happened to be, by the way, a one, the perfectionist, right. and uh, was a fairly extroverted, <laughs> I guess, perfectionist, came in and, and said, uh, I need to tell you wrong about this. Now, as you know, perfectionists... <laughs> no, you don't do that. It's right, you scary. don't do that yeah. to the manager. And he said, in that moment, I had the capacity to live responsively, not reactively. See, Don, most people live in a state of reactivity all of the time. Hmm. You know. When I say reactivity, it's kind of like being trapped in one of those British phone booths with a Hornet. You know what I mean? You're right, just yeah. swapping all around and yeah. relationally banging into people and doing. you're just reacting all the time. But he said, I was able in that moment because I knew my type now. I knew what my liabilities, my assets were, You know what yeah. my strengths and weaknesses were. He said, when previously, I would have probably just fired the guy in the moment. I just would have swatted at the Hornet and killed it in the hmm. phone booth. I could pause and make a different choice because I knew what was happening between us and that made all the difference.
0: Man, I remember I had a friend who was a one, who is a one, wonderful gal. A professor gave her, I think, a B on a test and she thought she deserved an A and for a year... When we would drive through this certain neighborhood, that professor's house there, and you could feel the tension in the car, yeah. of her anger at that. that right. Professor. And I'm like, I'll take a B any day. I'll That's like a B. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. B sounds great. Yeah, I hear, the, I hear you. In a big <laughs> but way. they, need, they need to be. Free. Okay, so this obviously begs the question: What are the nine types? We, we talked about type one is the perfectionist. Can you? And there's different. Scholars will describe them different ways, right. but they're all sort of circling around the exact same descriptions. Yeah. What do you call them, the, the nine types?
2: Sure. The first is the perfectionist. Right. If we were going to put this into business language to make it as simple as possible, the, the one perfectionist needs to get things right. They need to be perfect. They need to perfect the environment, usually. And they want to perfect other people, which isn't always appreciated, right? If, if it's <laughs> They're non-
0: reformers in that. Some people they, call them reformers. Yes, they do. A lot of heads of nonprofits.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: justice-oriented folk.
2: Yes, very much so. Ralph Nader would be a good example.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Of, Trying to reform the world, make it a better place. This absolutely. isn't right.
2: Good stuff. Good when they're healthy you know but like every number on the enneagram when they're unhealthy and lacking self-awareness and they're running on their automatic self they are you know a lot to handle so ones want to get things right in the workplace right yeah 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 twos want to help other people they want to feel appreciated but they really want to come in and create an environment where it's nurturing and yeah. people feel cared for and i
0: think of the nurse when i think of a 2
2: yeah threes are called the performers. They want to work and succeed, uh, accomplish tasks, productivity, efficiencies. They're very important to threes. They uh, want to avoid failure at all costs. They just don't want
0: to look like losers.
2: They absolutely do not want to look like losers, no.
0: What if they are? Uh, I I mean that seriously. What if they've lost?
2: They'll spin it, it. If they have a fail, right? if they have a crash, what they'll do is, They'll spin it to look like a success. Like, oh gosh, yeah, boy. When that company failed, I learned so much in that moment. That right now, I actually said
3: this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is getting embarrassing. And moving on. (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, So fours uh, are people. They're disproportionately represented in the artistic world really mm. in the creative space.
0: These uh, are these are memoirists. These are internal thinking. Yeah. I'm a four. Okay, yeah. let's just get it out on yeah, the yeah, table. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a
2: four. Uh, they want to express their deepest emotions and feelings. And in terms of the work world, they really want to bring a unique and special contribution to the, the company or the people that they're working with. Fives are called uh, the investigators, uh, fives have a need to understand and perceive. These are people who want objective information, and they want to aggregate as much of that, that information as they can get their hands on. Worst thing that ever happened in the world to uh, the investigator is the internet.
0: Because <laughs> right. they can just keep going and Oh,
2: going. my yep. gosh. I tell the story of a friend of mine who I called him. He was a $250-an-hour psychiatrist. Yeah. And I called him one morning, and I said, what are you doing? he said, I'm, I'm working on my printer. My printer broke. And he sounded kind of tired and stuff. I said, well, how long have you been doing this? He said, "Uh, well, since last night at midnight. I said, well, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. He (laughs) said, "There's a long pause. And he said, yeah, but I've been on the internet, and now I know everything about the printing press from the Gutenberg era (laughs) to now. (laughs) It was
0: important to know the history. Oh, man, he
2: just kept going for hours. Do
0: fives? Here's Here's a stereotype of fives that I have. You tell me whether or not it's accurate. They have trouble landing. By landing, I mean, uh, you know, you can say to a five, what do you think of this? And they'll say, well, here's the seven perspectives on that issue. But what do you think of that? Well, here's so-and-so's perspective on it. Historically, that has been – but what do you – where do you land? What do you believe is true? Well, there – and I've always kind of respected that to some degree because other people are like, you know, they read something on, you know, breitbart and they land <laughs> you yeah. know like
2: oh this is true
0: yes and you know it's like i think you landed too quick right but fives won't do that
2: well fives have an overwhelming amount of information that they collect on actually a wide variety of topics many of which have absolutely nothing to do with real life you <laughs> know right, like right, right. if you get stuck at a party with a five in the corner and you'll learn a lot about fungi you know that you know <laughs> on the size of trees you know in the in the forest but because of that, I guess that they can get lost in an information pool.
0: Great professors, great, great. researchers.
2: Unbelievable. Probably
0: good lawyers uh-huh. in some ways.
2: But they're also the most emotionally detached. And Really? I didn't know that. Yes, they are the most emotionally unavailable and detached number on the Enneagram.
0: Okay. Oh, I mean, what's the reason for that? Give me the...
2: Because they're so far up into their heads.
0: Super cerebral. I'll
2: give you an example of a very unhealthy five. would uh-huh. be Dr. House.
0: Ah, gotcha. Wreckage everywhere, but clinical. But lives in the facts.
2: Clinical, factual right. information. You know, but not always delivered in the most sensitive manner. Right? Oh, huh, okay. Now that would be a very unhealthy five. Right. Right, uh, right. A healthy five would not be anything like that. All right. Six. Sixes are called the loyal skeptics at times, or just the loyalist. uh Sixes worry about problems. This is my wife.
0: Your wife's a six. Healthy six. Okay, that took great. me a while to figure it out. She's a healthy six.
2: Okay, they're worst-case scenario thinkers.
0: They, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely.
2: You know, they're always scanning the horizon looking for the next thing that could go wrong. And mm-hmm. they're just waiting. Literally. You know? Scanning Literally. the horizon
0: looking for the tornado.
2: Absolutely. You better believe it. And they want to know what's happening. They they suspect that everybody has a hidden agenda. And they want to know what it is.
0: That's why it took me so long for her to go out with me, probably. That's right, I mean, probably. Want?
2: Yeah. But on the other <laughs> hand, think about it in the work world, though, you would want a six to be your risk management person. Yeah. When they're healthy, uh, sixes are great, for example, in a corporate setting, being able to spot, let's say you're in a room full of threes or eights, right? Threes, bunch of achievers, entrepreneurial types, salesmen. Right. And they're all like, we can do this. We can take these huge risks. We can do this. We can do that. And they're whiteboarding like crazy, And let's go do it. You know, it's good to have a six in the room every now and then just sort of raise their hand and go, we don't have the cash flow to do that (laughs) and not sink. If you do that, we might sink.
3: Yeah. There's some
2: natural checks and balances in these personality types within the workplace. All right, seven. Seven. uh, They're called the enthusiasts. These are people who want the most exciting, positive, stimulating experiences that life can give them. Life of the party. Life of the party. Great storytellers. Charming as all get out. And they are fantastic people uh, in the workplace because they have this unique ability to see overlapping patterns. Really? Now, this is something I didn't know about the enthusiasts. Oh, they're fantastic. Yeah, they can see patterns or fact patterns and overlaying patterns. And they can come up with new hybrid ideas of how they might come together and create something new. Yeah. You do not want these people to be managers, though. Okay. No, no, you want these people to be the rocket booster front end people because they're great startup energy. They just are so optimistic about it. When you say rocket
0: booster front end, what position is that, let's say, in a small company? What? You know, sales or product development
2: or spokesperson y? Yeah, that would be great in terms of public relations if you need an upfront optimist, you know, who can really just paint the sunniest picture possible of what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. I mean, think of it this way. If, if a six manages fear with pessimism, right. sevens manage fear with optimism. <laughs> Which can be really dangerous. Generally speaking, they don't have long attention spans. <laughs> so they'll kill a job. They'll nail it. and But if you're asking them to manage what they just started, they'll kill it. You need to move them on to something brand new. I've
0: noticed with sevens that I know that and some of them are very healthy and self-aware, so they navigate this territory, but they're not naturally able to go to any sort of even moderately dark part of reality. That's true. I mean, they're not the person that you go to and say, I've lost everything. I've really screwed up. Can I come and process it with you? Because they are, you are awesome. Your mistakes hardly matter. Let's literally bury them in the backyard and never think of them again. And so you don't have this ability to sort of process right. and metabolize. Are they unable to do that sometimes themselves if they're not, they They can't learn from their mistakes?
2: Yeah. One of the things that makes the Enneagram so powerful is is it doesn't just describe traits. It, mm-hmm. it also identifies the underlying motivations that drive the way that people think, feel, and behave. So in the case of a seven— right what is it that's driving all this optimism? You know, what is it that's driving all this future thinking? I can't wait to learn or do the, you know, go naked skydiving. I just can't wait, right? It's the need to avoid psychological and emotional pain. So if you want to go to somebody and uh, look for a good ear while you pour out your fourness, right? You right. Know, all the <laughs> angst you know, that you have about something. Right. The seven is eventually going to say, can we go get ice cream? Right. Let's <laughs> go buy some balloons. You but, know. but literally. Yeah, literally.
0: Like they're literally going to need to go get ice cream. Yes. And not not talk about it. Yeah. Which in some ways, is it's kind of wonderful because that yin and yang is necessary when somebody wants to go too dark. But at the same time, even like the seven and the four can exhaust each other, I'm sure.
2: Well, it's interesting. My son's a seven. Hmm. And, and you're a four. And I'm a four. But you don't seem
0: like a, a macabre four. you you're, you're like Well,
2: you know, I've had a lot of therapy in 30, <laughs> 30 years of sobriety. I would I never mean, you no, know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I've never known
0: you're a four. Okay. Well, the four is negative. I'm a four with a three. You know, the
2: thing about I tell people when you want to know what your Enneagram type is, think back to when you were 20, when you had no self awareness and you were really florid in your personality, Mm -hmm. in your automatic self. Over time, you know, we get enough wreckage in our rearview mirror that some of this stuff softens. You know, we go to counseling, we've had enough go on that it becomes a little bit more difficult to identify type at that point because not impossible, clearly, but. But more difficult because some of this stuff has gotten smoother around the edges, Yeah, you know? Doesn't mean the motivation's gone anywhere. It's still there. It's still operative, but it's not as clear as when you were 20. So I tell people, go back to when you were 20 in your mind, and that's how we'll know for sure what (laughs) your number is.
0: I'll be back to my interview with Ian Cron in just a moment. All right. It's one of our favorite segments of the StoryBrand podcast. Kula Callahan is back with Marketing
3: Mythbusters.
0: (laughs) People are loving this section.
3: I'm so glad.
0: I love it too, because it gives practical tips on how you can adjust your marketing a little bit and make more money. Exactly. Which is what we do. All right. What is this week's marketing myth?
3: Your about us section should be about you.
0: Of course it should be about...
3: Wrong. Why wouldn't it? You're wrong, Don. Well, if people click about
0: us, shouldn't they read about us? No. <laughs> you want to think that
3: they should read about you, but actually all they're concerned with is themselves.
0: They kind of are. It's only their story that matters. So how do you make an about us section look like it? Because a lot of people do click about us. That's true. I've discovered that. Mm-hmm. That, you know, when I ask people, people will click read about it, but then you can change that copy so it actually advances your brand and sells more product.
3: Right, and you do that by making the copy more customer-centric. So rather than talking about when your company was created or that your grandfather started the company... Or you won
0: these awards. Or you won those awards. You
3: want to speak to your elements of authority as they relate to how you help benefit your customers.
0: Yeah, so About Us would be... We're proud to have one of the best-selling toothpastes in the world because it helps our customers get whiter teeth and they can be more proud of their smiles and they love that. We just pivot right into, exactly. here's what's in it for you.
3: Yes, yep. and it's just a slight shift, but mm-hmm. by making that slight tweak, you make it more focused on how you help your customers solve their problems and yeah. get to success.
0: I don't think you're ever not rewarded for pivoting to your customer's story.
3: Correct. And you know what we've seen with a lot of our coaching clients is when we teach this paradigm shift of your customer is actually the hero of your brand story, it becomes easier for them to sell. Right. It's just a more natural position to assume. Yeah. So when you filter your the copy in your website through that lens, it just feels more authentic.
0: Yeah. And most of our clients don't even like talking about themselves. That's right. They're very uncomfortable. They don't want to brag, but they feel like they have to. And I'm here to tell you, you don't. Just talk about your customers. Well, thank you so much, Kula. Thank you. And if you want more great marketing advice, we got a great resource for you. Go to 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com. It's completely free. Three five-minute videos full of tips and strategies for clarifying your message and growing your business. Just go to 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com.
2: All right, number eight. Number eight, the Challenger. I have a new saying, which is "making America eight again." <laughs> that, that's my new expression.
0: Uh, the, he is the he's the ultimate eight. Do you think there's a seven or a nine wing there?
2: Gosh, I. It's got to be, be seven. It's got to be seven. Because
0: Reagan was eight with nine, or nine with eight.
2: You know, I. Or actually,
0: the, you think Reagan's Reagan something else? I've no, heard Reagan's eight with nine.
2: Yeah, I've I've actually heard that Reagan was a nine.
0: Well, probably with an eight wing. Yeah, that was his ability. To stand I've also up for heard that Clinton a, was a nine. That's hard to believe. I know, but yeah, think seems about. So well,
2: okay, so th- that's typically what people think. But here's why I think people think that Clinton was a nine, which is called the peacemaker. For those of you who don't know, it was because the charisma underneath his charisma, mm-hmm. according to the people that worked with him, was a tremendous capacity for empathy. He could see everybody's point of view. This is very peacemaker stuff. Nine on the mm. enneagram, which made it possible for him to, uh, for example, forge a peace deal in Bosnia. That enabled him to do the same thing in Northern Ireland.
0: It enabled him to get elected. Do you remember the moment where H.W. Bush was asked about the national debt in a town forum and he Mm -hmm. answered with a linear frustrated answer and Clinton interrupted him and said, can I just synthesize this? Ma'am, do you know anybody who's lost their job? How did that make you feel when they lost it? How did that make them feel? Well, that's really what we're talking yeah. about. I mean, that ability.
2: I feel there's your a, pain. I
0: feel your pain. There's a nine ability to do that. All right, let's get back to Trump because it's more interesting and it's ah! going to get more... <laughs> well,
2: I, I, I hesitate to, to type anybody from a He's distance. an unhealthy
0: eight. I mean, at least you know publicly, it feels unhealthy. I'm not insulting him. I'm just saying no. there are levels of health. Yes. And when you're a number and you're at a level of unhealth, you do things like publicly embarrass yourself by going after enemies, become vindictive, burn bridges. Healthy eights might be tempted to do that or might even do it, but they're going to cover it up, Where eights will take the ship down with them.
2: Yeah. An unhealthy eight, these are people who want and need to be in control of the environment. For example, Frank Sinatra was an eight, Mm -hmm. okay? And this is what they used to say about Sinatra, talk about big personalities, right? Mm Mm-hmm. His friends used to say that you could feel Frank walk into a room 15 minutes before he got there, right? <laughs> These are people, when you walk into the room, you feel anger really radiating off of them. Or it's not, it'll be interpreted as anger, but really what it is, this This thing intensity. needs to go my way. Yeah, it's just intensity. These are Zorba the Greek type people. They are just swallowing life. They are just plugged into the world like a 200, like you and I, we're on 120 volt, right? Right. Eights are on 240, right? They just are these gigantic presences. They are dominating, domineering, overly blunt. You know, we all know somebody like this, right? right? They just walk in a room, and their elbows are flying everywhere. They just need to be in control, and uh, they're self-extending. I and mean, they do
0: test you. They test you to oh. make sure that you're going to submit. They'll say shocking things. They're comfortable. They're more comfortable, I think, than the average person with people actually not liking them. Because that lets them know, you're not in my camp. And all I need to know is, are you with me or are you against me? Right. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. the eights will do that.
2: Well, I love the expression that eights can start an argument in an empty house. <laughs> like, they love debate. They They're love to debate. And what will feel to you and I like intimidation for an eight is intimacy.
0: Now, you got to unpack that. Well,
2: let me put it another way. What feels like conflict or confrontation to you and I, to an eight is connection.
0: We have somebody who lives in the neighborhood who I've spent very little time with, but very clearly an eight. Yep. I mean, right away. Yep. And we were, as soon as we moved in, this person tested us. I mean, literally like notes about what we were recycling and what we weren't, statements like, I don't know where you lived before, but here are the rules now. And I, I just turned to my wife said, this is an eight, and they're testing us. Mm. And my response to an eight has always been, you actually don't submit. You actually say, no, here are the rules. Here are the rules in terms of you dealing with me. Here are the rules. Now, you can go away if you need to, but here are the rules. A lot of eights actually respect that. Sure. I mean, as long as you're not actually being contentious or disrespecting them because they don't like that. But it's like, here's who I am because they're feeling you out to figure out how far they can go. And they will go until you literally have a leash around your neck and you are their dog.
2: Right. So if you want to get along with an eight, right, you have to meet them with the same amount of power that they are meeting you with. Right.
0: Other than that, it's not going to
2: work. Yeah. If you try to be diplomatic with them, they will see that or experience that as weakness. Right, and, and they'll roll right over it. They will. I mean, they are not diplomats. They are, they're steamrollers. And yeah. so they won't respect you unless you meet them with the same amount of energy that they are approaching you with. So I try and tell people all the time, pay attention to what you pay attention to. Hmm. In other words, when an eight walks into a room, the first thing they pay attention to is who's got the power. And they're going to go right to that power and test and it. And test it. And see if they are more powerful. They're just going to go test it. They want to know who's in control. Now, they can be on a team in your business world, but I'm just telling you, if they are, they need to know that you're in charge, that you have the moxie to lead them, that you will make decisions and stick to them and not equivocate. And if you don't, it's like having a puppy in your house that's an alpha dog. And if you don't say to them, stay. And make them do it, they will eat your house down to the studs. You know what
0: I love about AIDS? Because this sounds like a lot of negativity about AIDS, but I've known a lot of AIDS. Where they get unhealthy to me is that, and this is a whole other, probably a whole other episode, but their ability to lie almost without conscious. That's where I just go, I can't deal with you. If you think about Trump, uh, he'll just lie. What I love about AIDS, though, is when they're healthy, is that they're really not super competitive with you in the sense that. You can even move ahead of them in terms of power as long as they contributed to your power. They're not actually very jealous of it.
2: Does that make sense? Yeah, I think when an eight's healthy, I mean, every number on the Enneagram, when it's healthy, is wonderful. They bring a tremendous amount of benefit to an organization or to your pride, your they're, social they're life. Often they're leading it. A- absolutely. With an eight, uh, one of the things I appreciate about a healthy eight is they're one of the very few people who will tell you the absolute truth about yourself. You and I actually share a mutual friend that is an eight. He's the only guy in my life who will say to me, you were a jerk last night. (laughs) And I'll go, what? And, you know, as a four, you know, that's like, you know, I always tell people that when somebody criticizes me like that, I feel like that picture where Lee Harvey Oswald's getting shot, you know, and he's like bent over and crunched, you know, and he'll just, he comes at me straight up and says, you were a jerk. And I go, yep, I think you're right. Yeah. And then we move on
0: that's really nice to deal with within it you can actually yeah. shoot really straight
2: they, oh my gosh yeah but
0: if you if you know somebody and you always have this feeling of are things okay with that person in this group from a power perspective they're probably innate yeah. you know like if you're having to check in and make sure because because there's lightning in a bottle over there's thunder over there and we got to deal with thunder sometimes they're yeah. probably innate
2: you will feel them yeah their presence is very very big big. All it's right, we camped on eight a while. Big. All right, And they're,
0: they're, a power, they're a fascinating personality. They deal they with are. more bandwidth in a group, Yep, most of the bandwidth probably goes to the eight.
2: Yeah, I would also say that the two most misunderstood numbers on the Enneagram, and interestingly, why eights and fours get along so well is because they are the two most misunderstood numbers on the Enneagram. Huh. Eights are misunderstood because people think that they have no soft center, but really, eights are very squishy in the middle emotionally. Really, are they Absolutely. in touch with that, or are they not in touch with um, that? It just depends on how healthy they are. Okay, you know. But really, that whole rough exterior really is a defense system against allowing people to see the softer, more tender qualities of their inner world, because they believe their perspective is is that the world is a place in which the strong survive and the weak get taken advantage of, and they're determined not.
0: Yeah, they're very Darwinian in their thinking. Very. And I've even, and this is going to get dark, but I remember reading, I think it was Riso Hudson's book, Riso and Hudson's book, that many eights, whether they experienced it or not in childhood, had some sort of molestation kind of thing, and them submitting to you would be them risking being molested again, that the passion and energy about being in control is that primitive. When you start to see people's inability to not be in control... You go, oh, this is coming from somewhere really deep and maybe wounded.
2: Well, every single number, you know, has that. Yes, has some experience of you know wounding of some kind, right? That contributes. It's not the all contributing factor, but contributes to the way that the personality forms, right? Right. It organizes itself around you know wounds and the inevitable losses of childhood. Right, right. You know, our personalities form in part around those things. I've never heard the piece about molestation. I think that's very, very specific. Uh, and with, I
0: hope I, I believe it was a Riso and Hudson yeah, book, but I should be careful. I yeah. don't, I'm not. I don't know. I would
2: say that many eights I know would say that they grew up in situations where they had to grow up too early. Hmm. So an alcoholic parent, to they just had to be tough. Also, remember. The enneagram is like any other model. I love what George Box, the statistician, said. He said, "All models are wrong, but some are useful." I love that. <laughs> That's a good. Line. You know, it's like college economics. You know, this is wrong. Right. <laughs> this economic model, but it's a good place to start, right? Right. So the enneagram can't account for all of all the that. factors that go into the mystery of the human personality, but it is useful, right? All right As finally. a starting place. Yeah,
0: finally. Nine.
2: Yep. Oh, the peacemakers. We cannot
0: forget the nine. Oh,
2: God bless the nines. Uh, But can I say one last thing about eights?
0: Oh, please. Just on their behalf. Yeah, yeah.
2: Martin Luther King.
0: Martin Luther King. Healthy eight. Mother Teresa.
2: Yeah, I mean these were these were people that learned that power in the hands of love can change the world.
0: And eights when they're healthy, they go to two. Yes. They become nurturers. They become. They take people under their wing. Yes. But think about. Mother Teresa, because that made no sense to me when I read that. Well, did you ever thought, see the
2: documentary on her life?
0: I don't believe so. Oh my God. I read Come Be My Light.
2: Oh no, she. there's a documentary, a black and white film uh, that was done in the 1970s. Did Malcolm Muggeridge do it? Malcolm Muggeridge was involved in the process, but it was, um, I can't remember his name now. He was a, a knight, a British knight. Huh. Anyway, the clip from that film I remember more than that. She's in the middle of Lebanon while it's being bombed. She's, I think, already won the Nobel Prize, so mm-hmm. she's a celebrity. Mm. And she's surrounded by these government officials and they're telling her she can't take a bus into this middle of the city to rescue a group of children at a hospital. And she's looking at them going, you don't understand. I am going on that bus, <laughs> but you'll get killed in the middle of our country. And your right. mother, Teresa, we can't. I am getting on the bus. And she did. She yeah. got on the bus. She probably drove it. She drove it yeah, literally <laughs> into the middle of the city, got the kids, pulled them out yeah. and, to safety. Yeah. That's, that's an eight. That's a healthy, loving eight. Yeah. They're fantastic. Nines, the peacemakers, they have a real need to avoid conflict, but they bring so much harmony and goodness to the world. Mm. They have a capacity more than any other number on the Enneagram to see the world through everybody else's eyes. Unfortunately, everybody else's eyes except their own.
0: They don't think of themselves, they put themselves last.
2: They, well, what I would say is that nines self forget they will merge with larger personalities in the interest of not asserting their own preferences and opinions and desires for fear that it might cause conflict and a Mm -hmm. rupture in relationship. Mm -hmm. They'll just kind of become one with another person. So if you, here's a classic conversation with the nine. Where do you want to go for dinner tonight? And they'll say, "I, I don't care, where do you want to go? And literally in that moment, what the nine is doing is saying,
0: I'm looking for something to want. Can I merge with your desire?
2: Yes. Actually, though, there's a little bit more to it than that. What they're really doing is saying, I don't want to assert my own opinions, preferences, and desires for fear that it will cause any kind of disconnection between us because yours might be different than mine.
0: Do they have a desire? Is there somewhere they wanted to go for dinner or they can't even think of that?
2: Well, you have to limit the options for nines. You know, you need to say, do you want to go to Chinese, Thai, or Japanese tonight for dinner? And then you'll get an answer. If you leave it wide open to them, unlimited choice. It's very difficult for a nine to know where to land. Yeah. Because they've spent most of their lives deferring or sublimating their own desires and preferences and opinions to get along to get along. What is that? Was that the old expression? Go along to get along. Yeah. Right? That's kind of the mantra of the nine peacemaker.
0: I'll tell you what. I've got a nine on staff. I think I have an eight or somebody with an eight wing. I've got a six. I am a four with a three wing. I've got a two probably with a one wing. And I'm telling you, it's a symphony. It is. It's really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. As, you, as we talk about these personality types, I'm going, oh, I'm so grateful for them. Yes. Oh, I'm so grateful for them.
2: Yes. And what's interesting is, is, you know, you've got two, three, four in that heart feeling space. So you've got someone represented there. Five, six, seven in that fear space. Right. Someone represented there. Yeah. And someone in the anger triad, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, Who literally pulls me aside and says, You were a jerk last night. I've got that on staff. So So it's not the person that we know, but I've got that person on staff. So
2: this diversity creates an ecosystem or the natural climate in which you have good checks and balances where people's excesses are being, you know, reined in by someone else into the tent. So you're all under the same tent. The problem often in organizations is people tend to hire people who are of their own type. Hmm. You know mm. what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're the perfect guy because they don't have enough self-awareness during the interview process to, to know say- we need
0: these checks and balances.
2: There's that. And they may not be aware that, oh, I like you because you're like me. <laughs> so I'm going to hire you. Yeah, That could be a problem on a company.
0: Well, a couple things. I'm going to ask you one final question, but we've said a lot. And for anybody who doesn't know the Enneagram, they're probably going to go on Amazon tonight and spend about $200. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. That would be very, very good. Because and it's and I'll tell you it's worth it. I think the best introduction to the Enneagram is your book, and I've read a lot of them. So congratulations on this. The book is called The Road Back to You, but here's the the idea for leaders. The more you understand the variety of personalities within your workplace, the more you can contribute to their getting healthy yes. because we can understand, oh, the reason this person always defers where I want to go, and you'll even notice they're deferring to where I want to go to lunch and I need to pull their desires out of them. Or this person is dotting every I and crossing every T, which is costing us a lot of money, but they're also going to save us a lot of money here, so I'm going to be a little more patient with that. This person is challenging, yes, but when we need to move into this territory and take down this competitor they're going to be an asset. Mm -hmm. And you begin to see, the beautiful thing about the Enneagram is there's unhealthy and there's healthy. And the more healthy each member of your staff is, the more you're going to enjoy going to work in the morning, the more they're going to enjoy going to work in the morning, the more work you're going to get done, the more productive you're going to be, and the better you're going to do in business. We forget this is about relationships and people are not rational creatures. They're not cogs and wheels. They're not power screwdrivers that we can just use like tools. They're human beings. And I think the managers who understand that best get the most out of their people and are beloved by their people the most. And the Enneagram is an underused, not for long, because people are beginning to discover it. I think it's going to take over everything. What is one thing that we as leaders, because most of the people listening to this show are leading in some capacity in an organization. I wish we could go into, here's how you help heal a nine. Here's <laughs> right. how you help heal a one. Right. But in general, Ian... And you get into some of that in the book. I mean, you pick that out as you read the book. In general, though, what can we do to help our people become more healthy?
2: Yeah. Well, I think um, we can come alongside them and help them develop the capacity to monitor their internal world, develop their own level of self-awareness so they can regulate the best of who they are and deliver it to a group of people. Mm. The best, so in short, what I'm really trying to say is the best thing a leader can do to help someone else is become self-aware themselves. Hmm. I mean, honestly, the first that you, you person- You've got to go first. You've got to be the first one to step into the pool of self-awareness, own what's best about you, and then model it for others and invite them to join you on that journey.
0: Hmm. I love it. Well, here's something you can do. You can order the book. Uh, and again, we don't get a kickback on any of this. This is just, I'm, Literally, this is just a great resource. The Road Back to You read it yourself, order a case Them. If you have a small company on your next retreat, have everybody else read it and just do a session where everybody walks around going, I think I identify as a three. Because if anything, it just starts the conversation where everybody begins to talk about how they're wired and what they're afraid of and what drives them. And that kind of self-knowing, knowing ourselves, but also knowing everybody else in the room just creates a bond and increases productivity, hopefully. Ian, what a blessing you are.
2: Man, thank you. This was a great time. Yeah,
0: thanks for coming by the studio. I hope you develop this into an actual core curriculum for workplaces. I think the book lends itself to that very easily. Uh, But until then, we've got the book. We can also find out more about you at iancron.com. That's I-A-N-C-R-O-N.com. You've written a lot of other great books uh, that I didn't get a chance to talk about. Maybe we'll have you back. Ian, thanks so much.
2: Thanks, Tom. Good to be here.
1: If you're interested in finding out more information about the nine different personality types that Ian talked about and how to identify them in your office and begin working with them a little bit differently, go to buildingastorybrand.com worksheet. Again, for a synopsis of the personality types, that's easy to read and understand. Go to buildingastorybrand.com worksheet.
0: Good, right, JJ? So good. You know, it bothered me, because we we recorded that interview, and then that night, which was actually last night, because we recorded the interview yesterday, (laughs) the difference between me and Ian... I mean uh-huh. Ian is like he's very understanding and he's yes. kind about the ties but did you notice how in the interview I was like yeah and they do this then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. it's all like gossipy <laughs> oh yeah yeah I dated a girl like yeah. that they do this I yeah.
1: was looking for that that edge of like the negative side of wow I, did, I know I feel
0: bad well, am I that guy am I no, like a guy I who's think, like trying to look for your here's is, your flaw okay
1: you ready to get real I I'm think ready it's because you look for that in yourself on this like you're oh, like kind you're very you. you're being kind well that's I think you're genuinely looking for where are the areas that I go negative in this and how do I work against that? I think you do that. And so I think when you hopefully you look to get at, better, exactly. You but do. it,
0: I don't think, yeah, maybe it doesn't you work. Do. I don't know. You do. I have a question let, let me for tell a you two. Do.
1: And so you, I think you look for that in yourself so you also see it in others. All right. I have a question for a two. Okay. Since we're talking about this, okay. I know
0: the podcast is going a little bit long, but stay with us. Okay. It's park in the driveway. Go. <laughs> don't go in just yet. Okay. <laughs> Twos. Uh huh. Because you're a very healthy two. I wouldn't have known that you were a two, you can tell a two really easily when they're unhealthy. Well, pretty, probably all the types.
1: You can tell. You're like, they're oh, they're that person. They, is yeah, when active. they're unhealthy, yeah. yeah.
0: So you're pretty healthy. But if you make a two mad, they go to eight.
1: Yeah. They no, can get vindictive. I actually use the word, I say this a lot, I need to have a nemesis. I will destroy a nemesis and I'm not kidding so even though you're
0: loving and nurturing and caring and
1: I've even said that like I've said that to people in my life I'm like I love you but you cross me or hurt somebody I will destroy you like that (laughs) that is a two yeah no I have no problem destroying people who hurt my loved
0: ones so remember that ladies and gentlemen yeah
1: no seriously I can be soft and cuddly but I will destroy you and I will do it in a way that makes you feel bad about yourself and still love me
0: funniest story I've ever heard about a two gone bad yeah or two having a bad moment not gone bad but my buddy Mike I actually Write about this. I think I write about it in um, a million miles in a thousand years. Mike is this amazing guy. Yeah, like he's you know he flies around the world and does nursing for people and all Uh this kind of stuff. He's a great guy. But early on, he dated this girl. I think she broke up with him. So he kidnapped her cat and then he called her. Yeah, yeah. He called her on the phone and he said, you know. I want to get together. I want to talk. I've got your cat, and then he would squeeze the cat, and the cat would. You know. No, I kid you not. No, two gone bad. Meow, <laughs> no.
2: meow. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: not oh my funny. Gosh. Don't do that. Oh, <laughs> uh, No, no. That what I do is I just stop talking to people and make you always wonder. <laughs> 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 like that's, it'll just be like destroy. It's total not really. Aggressive. I'm, I'm playing it up a little bit, but like I have no problem cutting people off. Ooh. I really do. I will cut you off and I will destroy you.
0: Oh, good so to don't know. Miss, yeah.
1: I'm looking in your eyes as I say this right now. So, and then I'm turning to Tim. But and if I came to you and said, thing. JJ,
0: you know, it's been a couple weeks. Yeah. Well, do you forgive me? Are you good at that? Or are you like, no, I need to kill you? Depends on what you did. <laughs> Depends on what you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, fours do push pull. Yeah. So they do this like, get away from me. I need my space. Okay. Hey, we're okay, right? Okay. You didn't take that personally, <laughs> yeah. did you? Because your relationship is very important to me, right? Get away. Go. But I, hey, we're all right, right? We're okay. Yeah, yeah we're good. We're good, right? good. Yeah. Good. Don't talk to yeah. me. But we're good, right? I told yeah. that to Betsy. Yeah. She's like, you do do that. You do that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good to know. Yeah, yeah. Ian, of course, much more, mature, much more mature, much more mature than us. And uh, yeah. he's the right guy to write the book and talk about. Yeah, exactly. About it, so. <laughs> really good. Hey, next week, we got an equally good interview with a guy named David McEwen. Yes. When David McEwen wrote, a book, well his dad wrote a book called predictable success and they have predictablesuccess.com, where they basically chart the kind of path of almost every organization yep. every company every company starts like you know just to get it off the ground is really hard but then once they start making a profit and they have some money it's the fun and games phase yeah and everybody wants to do business with them so they're growing but now you have to create processes yeah and you're not naturally the guy who creates processes so you enter into a phase called white water And it's just a really rough phase where you're trying to, and most people don't like it, but most people don't know it's a predictable path. You're going to hit whitewater. And then you come out of whitewater, you hit the sustainable level of predictable success. And he talks about how to maintain that. So getting through whitewater, maintaining that. Then he talks about if it begins to decline, you go into treadmill, and then you're going to love this. Then you go into the deep rut, and then you go into (laughs) the death rattle. (laughs) So we talk about all, all the phases of, of yeah. business and he's got this like Irish accent that you're going to love. Yeah. Like a leprechaun. <laughs> talking about a leprechaun about business. Anyway, David McEwen, a really fun interview. Let me just play a little clip to tease you so you'll pay attention next week. Here's a little clip from my interview with David McEwen.
1: you know you're in Whitewater whenever you've got a systemic issue with complexity so you're starting to drop the ball you know you screw up a client order or you double book a meeting or you send your trucks on the wrong route and we realize that hey there's a problem with complexity here that, that we can no longer manage it's like that old um, variety show act uh, where you're spinning plates China plates on bamboo poles right, and the guy puts five up and he can manage them all no problem just touch them and keep the plates spinning then he adds another five and another five and another five and before you know it the first plates starting to, to shake, and then it falls, and that sets a cascading effect. Well, Whitewater's a lot like that. We're starting to drop the ball. We're having to fix things. As a result, our profitability plummets. We have a tendency at that stage to begin to lose alignment. Told you. Yeah, yeah.
0: But you want to catch the whole interview uh, next week. David McEwen with Predictable Success. Well, this has been a lot of fun, yes. as always. JJ, two with a three wing. Yes, sir. Don Miller, four with a three wing. We're grateful that you keep tuning in. Whatever number you are, unless you're an unhealthy eight, <laughs> then just leave us alone. Or if you're an unhealthy two and you're just like really clingy, or if you're an unhealthy one and everything has to be perfect and every time no, we flub, you just get really upset. we love
1: everybody no matter where they're at.
0: All right, we love you no matter what. Thanks for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. Now, everybody go away and give me some space Hey, we're okay, right? (laughs) Like you're going to listen next week, right? (laughs)